We are back with you here on the 17th of February, 2021, here on The Punch-Out. Plenty for you today here. Uh, evidence of police brutality in the state of New York, certainly in New York City, uh, being revealed in a major way here. We've got Egypt buying $200 million in U.S. missiles, but they were buying more than missiles with that money, and we'll get into all that. But before we get to that... We want to turn to the crisis happening all across the country, but particularly in Texas, and why you can't blame clean energy for the blackouts. <laughs> almost 3 million people, almost 3 million people remain without power in Texas. Freezing cold temperatures continuing there. Pipes freezing, businesses closing, uh, you know, just everything you could imagine here in an area that wasn't prepared for this. It's a tragic situation. Massive cold snap all across the Midwest and, West and the South of this country. Almost 30 people, or at least rather, at least 30 people killed. At least 30 people killed in this massive cold snap. Three million without power in Texas. And hundreds of thousands could remain without power in Texas, possibly to the end of the week. Now, many people are, of course, asking, how could this happen? And certainly it's true, Texas doesn't get weathered this cold, but, you know, you'd think a massive utility that essentially controls all power in the state of Texas would, you know, have some sort of contingency plan for emergencies like this and many others. And at the same time, we have conservative media and politicians both inside and outside of Texas who have quickly jumped on this narrative to say that, well, clean energy is to blame for the failures in the grid, and they're using it as an example of why policies designed to save the planet are misguided. Now, one big problem with all that is that all the evidence that's out there points to fossil fuel and nuclear power plants being the real culprit, uh, namely, by the way, the fact that the utility itself is saying that is who the real culprit is. But just to break this down a little bit more in terms of what goes on, utilities make forecasts of how much demand they may need at any given time. They then plan to have that much power available. They come up with some feasible mix of various sources they have to generate power to get the amount of power they need for the normal operations and at least allegedly various distortions and emergencies that could come up. The Electrical Reliability Council of Texas or ERCOT, controls the grid. They were relying on coal, natural gas, and nuclear sources to meet 90% of the demand at the time the system was starting to fail and as it's been failing. 90% fossil fuels and nuclear. Interestingly enough, wind turbines were producing far more power than ERCOT had expected them to during this crisis. So if anything, wind power was more, not less reliable. ERCAT themselves stated that the issue, again, was frozen instruments at coal, natural gas, and nuclear plants and limited supplies of natural gas, not wind power. So, just to summarize here yet again, 90% of the available energy was available, that was available at the time was from fossil fuel sources or nuclear energy. The amount of energy that went offline 
was greater than the 10% from clean sources. The utility themselves is blaming fossil fuels and nuclear energy plants for the blackouts and or failures at the facilities, at least. And just once again here, wind energy was producing more than had been expected, significantly more, not less, during the time wind turbines were allegedly mass failing. So again, there is no evidence that clean energy is to blame. It does, however, seem like ERCOT has some significant blame here. They appear to have not really planned for this emergency at all. And of course, yes, this is extreme, but that's the point of disaster planning, particularly if you're the primary source of power for one of the largest states in the country. Worth noting here that, yes, ERCOT is a nonprofit, but it does operate significantly with, there's a lot of control, let's just put it that way, that the governor and the state legislature has over ERCOT. So with all these politicians in Texas trying to shift the blame to the Green New Deal, just makes you wonder if they're trying to draw our attention away from their own complicity in this epic failure that is causing massive hardship. The U.S. government has approved Raytheon's sale of $197 million in missiles to Egypt in a deal that was criticized for arming a government with a well-known well disdain for just about anything you'd consider a human right. And most of the conversations are making these points, but a little separately. And, and I think to me, it seems that really it's not in spite of the various abuses that Egypt got these weapons. It's Quite frankly, the fact they bought the weapons, that's one of the main reasons the various abuses aren't even an issue for the U.S. government in the first place. Just consider this. The weapons in question are anti-ship missiles. Egypt says they're for coastal defense along the Red Sea. That's the sea that's between the Arabian Peninsula and North Africa that leads into the Suez Canal. That sounds a little perplexing to me. I mean, first and foremost, as one of the most major economic corridors in the world. Security isn't really an issue there. And ultimately, it, who's really going to sail large naval ships up the Red Sea to attack Egypt? Egypt has decent to fantastic relations, in fact, with just about all the countries that even really have those capabilities. So you got to ask, what's really going on here? Well, the reality is, is, just think about it. Raytheon is very influential. Current Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was a board member there just before he came to the Pentagon. Actually got $2 million, Bloomberg said, from Raytheon uh, as compensation when he had to give up that board seat to move to the Pentagon. Raytheon spent $4 million lobbying in 2019, and they rarely spend less than $2 million, by the way. Their corporate PAC donated $1.8 million to candidates in the last electoral cycle. And over the past five years, they've donated almost $3 million to U.S. think tanks. They're the second largest donor, by the way, to the biggest U.S. think tanks in the defense industry. So is it surprising to you that Egypt is considered a quote-unquote trusted security partner? Of course, there are plenty of objective reasons for that, like Egypt's willingness to torture people for the U.S. or connive with the U.S. and Israel to oppress the Palestinian people. But just about everyone, well, I don't know, as many people recognize the just absolute repugnance of al-Sisi, you can see that the weapons purchases are what they seem like they are an insurance policy. They help prevent the uh, substantive blowback of any sort when they do terrible things that look terrible on the world stage. Money to Raytheon is jobs in someone's district. It's donations to their campaign. It's lucrative revolving door careers and well-paid semi-academic intellectual positions. It keeps the gravy train running. Look no further than, say, Saudi Arabia, who, despite having huge amounts of U.S. military equipment, has struggled in Yemen against a far lesser resourced enemy. What were they doing with all those hundreds of billions of dollars of equipment they brought over those years? Obviously not building a strong military. 
clearly buying insurance and protection and influence. So something else that hasn't fundamentally changed under Joe Biden, the military industrial complex. (laughs) 323,000 accusations of misconduct against current and former New York City police officers dating back to 1985, were published online today in a victory for those opposed to police brutality. The New York Civil Liberties Union obtained and released the records after the repeal last year of a law shielding them, but a legal challenge had prevented the release until last Thursday when a federal appeals court ruled they could in fact be released. The case will continue, however, in a lower court. The New York Civil Liberties Union noted that fewer than 3%, fewer than 3%, of the 323,911 complaints resulted in a penalty for officers, 12 of whom who ended up fired. Numerically, that means that only 8,699 of the 323,911 complaints did officers receive any disciplinary action. The New York Times had previously noted that 71% of the time, the NYPD, in their words, used their power over the ultimate outcome to, quote, nullify the review board's determination that serious misconduct had occurred and that the stiffest punishment should be meted out. So huge number of cases. And even when the disciplinary board says, or the review board says you should do something, 71% of the time they're saying, nope, we will not do what you say because we are here to protect the cops, not the people they are abusing. The release of the records comes after the repeal of a law that was known as 50A, and the repeal of it was promoted, or really happened in a big way is the way to say it, by the, because of the uprising against racism last year. It was one of the responses to the uprising, the repeal of 50A. That law had been used extensively, including by the liberal, quote-unquote, Mayor Bill de Blasio, to shield the release of misconduct reports and records of individual cops to hide the extent of police brutality and the extent of lenient treatment meted out for it. Uh, one of the major 58 cases was Daniel Pantaleo, by the way, who killed Eric Garner and de Blasio and NYPD and others were using it to shield his record from the public. The release of the records, of course, will just continue to grow the factual basis about racial bias and brutality in policing. But the fact that it took mass protest to eat an uprising to evoke even such a small concession gives you a sense of how committed New York's political elites are to protecting the cops over the rights of those they abuse. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.